Thank you very much, John, and thank you very much for inviting me here this morning to talk. Um, what I've been asked to do is to uh, talk and focus perhaps on uh, what's happened in relation to women's organisation within uh, the union movement as a result of uh, trade union mergers and unions coming together. Um, and I'd like to start a little bit uh, with some history uh, because, of course, uh, the history of women's organisation in the trade union movement largely is yet to be written. We know of uh, some amazing women. We stand on the shoulders of giants as women in the trade union movement, and we know that, and we learn our lessons from them. Uh, Mary MacArthur, in particular, uh, who was an organiser of women uh, in uh, different sectors of the, of the trade union movement, and part of that, bringing uh, trade unions together. Uh, but, of course, it's a chequered history, and we don't have a complete understanding of how women were organised in trade unions and where uh, women uh, worked, because a project that we're working on at the moment is called uh, Light Up the Ladies' Bridge, and I'd really recommend, if you've got some spare time on the 23rd and 24th of September, to pop down to the South Bank Centre, where you will be able to see a film of women constructing Waterloo Bridge. Uh, the story was kept alive by the riverboat um, uh, tour guides who, when they went under the Waterloo Bridge, said, of course, this is the ladies' bridge. Now, some tour guides believed that that was because it was ladies of the night, but in actual fact, it was because during the Second World War, it was largely women who constructed that bridge, construction workers and engineers. But it hasn't been until the last year that that's been able, it's been possible to chart that history and record that history because there's never been any pictures of those women uh, uh, building the bridge or rebuilding the bridge. Because it was during the Second World War and it was kind of a target for bombs, there wasn't any newspaper coverage of the construction of Waterloo Bridge. And the only government documents that record who worked on that bridge talked about green, unskilled labour. And, of course, women historians said, well, actually, what they mean by green, unskilled labour is women. But now we found some pictures in Bradford uh, Library, People's History Library, which demonstrate that actually it was built by women. Now, the importance of that history and the reason why I talk about it is because, of course, that history is so important for young women today to understand when somebody says to them, oh, well, hang on a second, women don't work in construction, women don't work in engineering, it's not women's work, it's not the sectors where women work in, of course, that's completely and utterly untrue. And it's not until we write that history that we can recognise that women have worked in construction down the years, that women have worked in engineering down the years. But very clearly, it's important for us to take that message out to young women today. Because what I aim to, show, to demonstrate in my contribution today is that it's not just about uh, the organisation of trade unions. We need to demonstrate that what we need to bring, come together in order to create an environment to organise women is a strong economy with a strong manufacturing base. We need strong equality legislation and we need a Labour government. We need a Labour government that is working with trade unions to build a strong trade union movement so that we can tackle the deep ingrained discrimination within our labour market.
because of course one of the reasons why uh, we have had um, the development of women in different trade unions is, is, is the segregation, job segregation within the labour market. And so some of the unions that came together to form Unite, uh, the Finance Workers Union Unify, was largely women workers because the finance sector has women, uh, a large predomination of women workers. Coming together with a craft union, the engineering union, which um, was mainly men, and that's part of the union that I came from. And so the cultures of bringing together unions where there is uh, uh, segregation within the labour market, gender segregation in the labour market, is not only a challenge, but it's a huge opportunity in relation to tackling that job segregation within the labour market. So. From where I, I start from where I came from, I came from Durham in the northeast of England, growing up in the 80s, where we didn't have, we had absolute decimation of our economy. And so with the miners' strike that Alistair referred to and the decimation of heavy industry within uh, the northeast, it became impossible for young women to have a, an opportunity in the future within that economy. And of course, I left. Uh, I left like many of my uh, school colleagues did and I went to live in Dundee with my sister and I have to say John that's when I joined the GMB uh, and I got a job in a bingo hall and I decided as a young idealistic woman who'd seen the power of the miners uh, growing up decided I was going to organise my union. But what I forgot to do was to get a permanent contract before I started uh, rocking up, saying I was a member of the GMB. We were all going to join the union and we were all going to um, uh, tackle uh, the discrimination which happened then. Because my job was to sell tickets, uh, I have to say. I'm just going to tell you this story. So I used to sell the, the bingo cards. And when, if I, I used to sell about a thousand a night and they were about you know, four or five quid each. They weren't cheap. But if I sold two instead of one, that got taken out of my wages. The worst bit was when they said that there was a pensioner's flyer that got given out free. Uh, and I said, well, how do I know who's a pensioner? You have a thousand women coming past you and you've got to decide whether or not they're entitled to a pensioner's flyer. Well, I have to tell you that in Dundee, women did not like being accused of being a pensioner. So, um, or either that or they were really happy with it because they got a free flyer. So, but of course that was taken out of my wages. So it was important to organise those women. It was a large workplace uh, full of women and it was important to organise. Unfortunately, because Ella didn't have, and we didn't, and that's why the legislation is so important, because we didn't have the basic employment rights and the ability to have a permanent contract of employment and the rights and the ability to organise meant that, of course, uh, my um, uh, uh, shifts as a casual worker dried up fairly sharpish. And so that's why I'm trying to say that there are specific challenges within organising women workers in uh, particularly women-dominated workplaces where there isn't um, the basic employment rights and permanent contracts of employment and the ability to organise. And so um, I, um, as, a, as an organiser for the engineering union, when I became an organiser, I think the other aspect of it that I'd like to highlight is that unions haven't always operated in the best interests of women workers. Uh, what came in the northeast to, to replace mining was uh, the electronics industry, and particularly there were a lot of women employed in those uh, the electronics industry. And we had Philips Electronics based in Washington, where there was a single union agreement for our union, which was then the AWU after we'd merged with the electricians' union. 
But of course, there were zero hours contracts. There wasn't the national minimum wage. Uh, the women who worked there were working for three pounds, maybe two pounds eighty-five an hour. They were required to be available for employment for forty hours a week, and yet they were own, they weren't guaranteed any hours at all. Now that in itself is a, you know is, is a story which doesn't uh, necessarily you know it can be replicated across many workplaces today in the UK, but of course what mattered was that that was an arrangement in a, in a collective agreement signed by the trade union of the day. And so we need to recognise that unions in themselves can sign agreements which are detrimental to women. And how we operate as unions and how we develop our collective bargaining arrangements is really crucial. And so I think the development of the organising agenda within trade unions, starting, I suppose, well, down history, I don't think, we're, you know, I don't think that organising is a new thing, but in particular, what I w comes to mind is when Jack Jones of the Transport and General Workers Union decided that he was going to organise Coventry and that it wasn't acceptable to him that actually there were workplaces in Coventry that weren't trade union organisers, particularly in the car industry, but actually that there was an organising agenda which recognised that whichever workplace that you were in, that there ought to be trade union uh, organisation. And that, I think, is really important. But, of course, then John was uh, responsible for the development within the TUC of the organising agenda uh, with new organisers, which actually sprung to a very different generation of trade union organisers, which recognised that women in workplaces should be organised. We needed women organisers to organise women workers. And that led to a huge leap forward in relation to the organisation of women in trade unions. So the organising agenda has been really important, but the employment rights platform has been really important as well, because you know, it, we could have broken that agreement at Phillips. In fact, you know, there was another similar agreement in Nissan, uh, you know, um, not far down the road, which was broken later, tra single trade union agreement, which was broken later. But it required political change in trade unions and it required political will in trade unions to take on those employers and to break those agreements. And so that has been important as well. But I think the other aspect of it all is, you know, the uh, unconscious bias which exists about whether or not women strengthen trade union organisation or weaken it. We're not isolated from the um, uh, segregation of the labour market of women into low paid employment. And so we could need to recognise, I believe, that as trade union organisers and trade unionists and as trade union members, in the past, there has been a resistance to having more women in the workplace because it's seen as diluting the collective bargaining power. Because, of course, women are low paid. And so if you let women into the workplace, then eventually it will lead to a reduction in terms and conditions of employment. And so that's the trick of the circle, which has led to the exclusion of women uh, within uh, collective bargaining. And it's really important now that I think that as trade unionists and as trade union organisers and trade union officers and trade union members, that we see women as power in the workplace. 
and that collective bargaining strengths as power in the workplace. But we can only do that, I believe, if we have the floor of um, employment rights, which is absolutely crucial, combined with the ability to organise and the legal framework to organise for trade unions. That is crucial for us as trade unionists to make sure uh, that we achieve that. Now, in prior to the Labour government coming to power, there was a, the single most important thing that they did uh, was to commit to the national minimum wage. A single most important issue in relation to organising women in trade unions. The um, uh, tax credits was really important as well, and sure start centres was really important, but the national minimum wage was crucially important. And also the commitment to organising uh, to a, a framework for trade union recognition. I think we, on reflection, what we, the lessons we probably needed to learn was that we needed to win over within the Labour Party and understanding that actually it's not just about individual employment rights, it's about collective action as well. We've still got to win, I think, that argument, probably in a more calmer environment than we're doing this summer. But in terms of the, uh, the ability to organise within the workplace, the biggest problem for women was that there was a, a, a set of, um, you had to have it was 80 people in the workplace before you could go in. And you had to, it was a, it was a large workplace, anyway, I'm trying to remember how many it was, but anyway. And that, of course, the vast majority of women worked in small organisations because of the decimation of industry. And so 80% of women work in very small workplaces. Uh, and so the ability to use that legislation to organise within the trade union movement uh, has been very difficult. And of course, we've got an organising struggle within our organisation because of the reduction in uh, permanent employment in large workplaces where we've traditionally had organisation. And so we need, as unions, to change the way that we organise and develop the way that we organise, which reflects that changing employment nature and reflects that changing uh, employment size. It is about making sure that we've got collective organisation. It is about making sure that we've got strong branches. But it's also about changing the way that we um, have workplace representatives and the ability to represent people in the workplace. We absolutely need a framework of employment rights which allows for trade unions to organise collectively on behalf of workers. We absolutely need to reinstate the right to strike uh, and the right to take collective action within workplaces. And we need to build that will within the Labour Party to make sure that we um, have an understanding that without that strong trade unionism and trade unions working together, that we will not improve the situation for women. So what we'd like to see in the future, I think, is an understanding from the Labour Party and from the trade union movement that actually we do need to change. We had a huge leap forward where we uh, began to organise equality reps in the workplace, uh, which has changed the complexion of uh, the trade union workplace reps' uh, uh, gender. The other issue that I suppose has been really important is the um, within our own union, within Unite, as we've come together as merging, is to make sure that union equality reps were part of the union rulebook. I'm sure as seasoned trade unionists, you all know that actually, you know, unless it's in the rulebook, it's not necessarily happening. And so, having what we have achieved in the in um, uh, the rulebook has been really important.
And Alistair mentioned around the uh, development of trade groups within the Transport and General Workers Union. That obviously was really important in building that industrial strength. What we have within Unite is now 24 industrial sectors. And what we've brought together are the women within those industrial sectors. And so in the past where we had union organising, women organising in different unions, we now have women organising across the industrial spectrum in one union. And so we have women engineers working with the women finance sector workers, women working with the women uh, health sector workers, and being able to build an industrial strategy which tackles the inequality and unfair pay in all industrial sectors. That's really crucial. I don't believe that we've yet harnessed the power that's retained within that. But we are building a movement where I believe that, in, um, that women will be part of the collective bargaining agenda and will be part of we're building the power within the workplace. John's book talks about women leaders and uh, you know, the, the importance of uh, women in leadership positions within unions. And that's absolutely crucial. Um, it's really important that we have women leaders that are going to be able to change the way that we operate. But we also need to understand where our power lies. And our power doesn't necessarily lie in our leaders, leaders what it lies is in the work, where it lies is in the workplace. And so w women leaders of trade unions know that what we need to do is to build that women's power within the workplace through building union equality reps, through taking women to make sure that they're part of the uh, senior reps team and that there isn't any committee or any uh, decision-making body where there aren't women sitting at the table. And so within Unite, what has been really important is to ensure that, in the same way that Unison has done, is to ensure that there is proportionality, minimum proportional representation for women at every decision-making table uh, within the union. What we still need to make sure, of course, is that we're building those networks of women's in companies uh, to make sure that they know where the decisions have been made. But coming back to um, you know, the wider environment, I think that you know, in the past what used to happen is the branch secretary would have on his desk the communication from the union which said that, OK, so there is now a conference happening in um, Manchester, so we're all going to go to that and we're going to have the convener and the deputy convener go to that. And then we've got an education course and we're going to send the convener and deputy convener on that. And of course they were the men in the, in the union. Now, because of social media and because, of course, that gatekeeping place is not there anymore, we can make sure that women are more involved in the union and aware of the positions that they can take. And actually now it's about building their, building their power and making sure that they take those positions, that the seats are there for them and that they're able to take those positions and they've got the facility time uh, from the union or from their employer to attend. So there's a huge, I think, for us, an opportunity now to have flatter structures, to have uh, better involvement, that we have an organising strategy uh, which is able to um, uh, go into those workplaces and build in those industrial sectors where women are working, that we have uh, a labour market strategy which is saying that, you know, actually women are still concentrated in the lowest paid sectors of the uh, economy, and that what we do need to do is to reverse the actual uh, descent of the labour market um, because, of course, things are getting worse. I talked about earlier about engineering and construction. We know that women worked in engineering and construction, but if you look 
at the number of women apprentices there are in construction and engineering today that's three percent that's going backwards when in actual fact we need to be, make it better so we have got a lot of work to do to make sure that um, there are those opportunities to women to work in engineering construction and to work in the uh, male dominated sectors of the economy but also to improve the paying conditions of those women who work in the in the in the sectors of, of uh, where women work and predominate so it's about having that understanding of where the discrimination exists in the labour market, looking at it through the lens of, of gender equality, doing the monitoring of where there is uh, gender inequality, which is why the Equality Act is so important and the public sector equality duty, but making sure that we have the tools as trade union organisers and as trade union negotiators to bring the employer to the table to make sure that we tackle the deep-rooted inequality that exists in the labour market. And that's where I see the future of the trade union movement going, because where we have everyone organised and where we have that industrial strength, then we're able to build a better economy for all workers. Thank you. Thank you.